morning, everybody. Good to see you here on this brisk, chilly Sunday morning. Glad you made it. You get a prize. Not not for me. In heaven, you'll get a prize. Uh, But so glad to have you here with us. Like uh, Jerry said, my name is Gino Allison. I'm one of the pastors here. And I want to welcome you all to the South Suburban Vineyard Church. Special welcome to any guests that we might have today. So glad to see you here today. And also anybody who's listening to us through our website or through our uh, podcast, you're welcome to come and worship with us here on Sunday mornings. Well, it is 2017, and I'm still getting used to writing that uh, on, you know, checks and things like that. And so I, I can't believe it's 2017 already. I'm a little disappointed because I thought that, you know, cars would be, you know, flying by now, and we would be living in like in the age of the Jetsons. You watch old movies. They are set in the 2000s, and it doesn't look anything like that. It looks, you know, pretty, pretty similar to how it looked in the 80s and the 90s. But it is a brand new year. And like we said last year, um, there's something about a new year that gives us hope of a fresh start. You could be, you know, eating too much and not exercising and doing all kinds of destructive, lazy things. And you go, you know, when January 1st gets here, it's going to be a brand new day. And for many of us, that's true. Others, others of us, that's not true. But in the life of a church and in the life of a preacher, particularly one who is in charge of deciding the curriculum... We jump at these opportunities at the, at the new year because we know that psychologically something's happening within you that makes you eager to turn a new page and to start over, to develop new habits, perhaps set down old ones. And so if you've been hanging out in church, like me, I've been hanging out in church for my, my whole life, it's not uncommon uh, at this time of the year for the preachers to declare that this is going to be everybody's breakout year. You know, it's not uncommon for the preacher to say, this 2017 is going to be your year. Or if you're in the black church, they might say, slap my people and tell them you're coming out this year or something like that. And some of you are like, why would you slap? It's a, it's a, it's, they don't want you to actually slap people. They want you to engage your neighbors and encourage them that this is their year. Well, there's a few practical reasons why you don't hear me talk that way. Um, and a few of them are as follows. One is that it, it can't be everybody's year. It's just impractical, right? Uh, some of us just on the trajectory that God has us for, maybe this upcoming year has some storms, some helpful, healthy storms that you have to rather weather in order to make you who you're to become. Others of us, while we're doing well now and making good decisions now, we've sown seeds in, in, in 2016 that we'll reap an unfortunate harvest in the new year. And so that might complicate uh, your 2017. And so it can't be everybody's year. The real reason I say that, though, is because many of us, many of you, simply won't do what it takes to have the type of year that God wants you to have this year. Let me get a little more specific. Half this room won't have a fantastic 2017, not because God doesn't like you, not because you're not nice and you're not not a fantastic person. I'm sure all of you are. It's because half this room, if not more, won't, beyond the next few weeks, do what it takes to lean in in the way that God challenges us to lean in. We won't have the discipline that it takes in order to achieve and receive what God has called us to achieve and receive. It's really true that in 2017, one of the benefits of living in such a modern age, such a technological age, is that we have access to more information than we've ever had before. We have access to more sermons and more teachings and more blogs and more posts than we ever had before in the history of communication. So it's not usually the case, at least for us, that we don't know what to do. It's usually the case, unfortunately, that we fail to do what we're supposed to do, and that traces back to discipline. We live, what we said a couple weeks ago, preference-driven lives rather than purpose-driven lives. Preference-driven lives, you hear me say that term from time to time, 
That is, you're driven by your appetites. You're driven by what you want to do. You're driven by what you want to do rather than being purpose-driven. And purpose-driven says, what am I called to do? Let me make my decisions. Let me make my steps based on who God called me to be rather than what I'm feeling like in the moment. Many of us lack discipline. And it's for that reason that many Christian churches, including ours, begin each year with something like a 30-day fast, right? And we began, some of us began a week ago with this 30-day fast and this 30-day challenge. And basically this fast, we invite you into a fast a couple times a year, an extended fast. And the fast is simply, you know, pulling back from some of the things that can compete with God for your attention and your affection. Some of you might say, you know what, I'm spending too much time watching television. You know, I'm spending hours on Facebook or doing this. My eating patterns have, you know, just completely been blown up. I'm not exercising. I'm not taking care of my body. Things are really, you know, you know, crowding out my life. And so I just need to pull back from some of those things. I need to, you know, turn off the phone. I need to log off of Facebook for a month. I need to, you know, give up caffeine and sugar so that I might free up some space, free up some bandwidth, turn down some of the other noises in my life so that the Lord might be able to speak to me. Because he's not going to yell over all of that stuff. He's just not going to do it. And so we lead us corporately into a place where we're actively turning down some of the noises, actively freeing up space so that we can get our emotional needs met by Jesus. And so along with that fast, we've asked you to lean in and to sort of acquire some new taste, lean into a corporate prayer with some of our prayer meetings. We had a great prayer meeting here yesterday, three or four times the, the amount of people that we typically have in our prayer meetings. So I'm thankful that some of you have leaned into that. We've asked you to come with us to Restoration Ministries when we serve the poor each week on Saturday uh, mornings. We've asked you to engage a small group, which starts this week. We've asked you to come to our nights of worship. So this is the 30-day fast and the 30-day challenge that we're corporately pursuing together. And this 30-day fast, 30-day challenge pairs well with a new series that we started last week, a series that we're simply calling devoted. Devoted. And as I said last week, devoted is a great word that we use to describe our lives as Christians, our lives as followers of Jesus. Now, I know in a room this size that everybody in here doesn't identify as a Christian, and that's okay. Uh, In fact, in a room this size, there are people that span, you know, the whole spectrum of faith. Some who are you know, lifelong believers and others who are, you, you're just here because, you know, a pretty girl invited you and you're trying to score some points. And every space in between, and so I know that everybody here is not a Christian, but I'm assuming that you're at least interested in wanting to look into the matter, which is why you're here. And so we spend some time talking about what God expects from us and what we can expect from him, particularly as it relates to being devoted. Devoted simply means to give all or large parts of oneself time, energy, or resource. That's what devoted means. This is what devotion looks like. Devotion looks like love, loyalty, and like we said last week, enthusiasm for a person, activity, or a cause. This is what devotion looks like. It looks like love. It looks like loyalty, a closeness, and it looks like enthusiasm. You're not just sort of being drugged along and just somebody got to make you come and somebody got to make you clap and somebody got to make you read your Bible. This is enthusiasm for something, and this is the essence of, you know, what it means to be connected, devoted to Christ and his kingdom causes. And last week, we began this series by talking about what it means to undevote yourself from some things. Sometimes we start too quickly about what you should engage and what you should grab hold of, not realizing that you got to let some things go first. And so we talked last week about what it looks like to undevote yourself from the things that are keeping you uh, full of all the wrong things. We talked about being driven by anxiety, fear, and our appetites and how that leads us to latch on to things that destroy us rather 
than build us up. We looked at Jesus' words last week, his command to what? Seek the kingdom first, and everything else will be added. And so we talked last week about the way to undevote yourself to all the wrong things is to move everything out of the room of your life, put Jesus at the center, let him move everything in that he wants to move in, and maybe if there's some of your things that he's okay with, he, he might bring those back into your life, but basically we're setting Jesus at the center and we're wrapping our lives faithfully around that. That's the starting point. And today we continue this series by talking about a specific thing, a specific aspect of life that you're called in light of seeking the kingdom first to devote yourself to. This morning I want to talk about Christian community. Christian community. And I'm simply calling this talk this morning, devoting yourself to Christian community. Now for many of you, Christian community will most easily stand out as your local church. And if you're confused about what I'm talking about, you're sitting amongst a Christian community right now. Now, this might not be your home or the church that you might call home. You might just be visiting today. We might just be in town, and this is not your particular church. Or you may be in between churches, and you're church hopping or shopping. Um, Either way, this is our local Christian community. And so the things that I say here today can very easily apply to any healthy Christian community. And so if this is not your church home, just take these principles and this truth and apply it to wherever you call home. But the local church is very important. Christian community is very important. And I would say it's God's secret weapon, although if you read the New Testament, it's not that big of a secret. This is God's sort of main tool to get the work done in our lives. God can speak powerfully. He can zap you. He can download something in your heart. He can get to you however he wants to get to you. But it's been my experience, and I'm thankful for it, that much of what God wanted to do in my life and much of what God wants to do in your life, he will do through the vehicle of the local church. Kingdom life is nearly impossible without a healthy Christian community. And some of you have recently found that out the hard way, which is why you're sitting in here today. And so we can't devote ourselves to the kingdom life. We can't seek the kingdom fully without devoting ourselves to healthy Christian community. And I just want to talk about that a little bit this morning. Uh, We're going to be looking at a few passages of Scripture. One is in Acts chapter 2. So why don't you grab your Bibles and turn there with me. Acts chapter 2 or in your phones or your tablets or whatever, however you view the Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you, by the way, there are Bibles on the edges of your rows. Feel free to grab one of those and follow along today. Also, if you don't have a Bible that you can understand, you know, don't have a Bible of your own, feel free to take one of those Bibles as a gift from us to you. We want you to be students of the Word, so go ahead and take one of those. Acts chapter 2, we're going to start at verse 42, and if you don't mind, put your finger there and uh, turn to Acts chapter 4, just a few pages over. We're going to start at verse 32 there. So Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and then Acts chapter 4. We'll read a few short passages. And while you get that, let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for uh, this Christian community, this place that we call home. And Lord, I've you know, been here from the very beginning, Lord, and I just look out on this place, with all these people here, how you're growing us. And I just say thank you this morning. We know this is not by human effort, but this is, this is by your spirit. You grow your church if we're just obedient to you. And so, Father, I just ask that your presence and your power would just come and visit with us today. As we often say, Lord, would you set the table? We'll, we'll eat what you provide this morning. And, Lord, I pray that, you know, you would open our hearts this morning to receive what you would say to us. Lord, if there's anything within us that will cause us to bristle at the truth, uh, to feel offended, Uh, at some of the hard things that might get said today. Father, I pray that these words would be received in the spirit in which they are given, uh, in love and with a desire to see us come up and have a great, great, fantastic year. Father, put power in these words that you've given me to speak. Move the preacher out of the way this morning so that your truth and your light might shine through. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, Amen. amen. Acts chapter 2. And, and so in case some of you are wondering about the book of Acts, real quick, the book of Acts is situated between two chunks of Scripture in the Newer Testament of the Bible. 
Uh, it's situated between the Gospels, which is four books that basically chronicle the life and ministry of Jesus. And on the other side of the book of Acts are letters, epistles, you know, letters written to churches and to various people by the uh, uh, various leaders in the Christian church. And in between those letters and the, uh, the Gospels is a book uh, that basically chronicles the life of the early church. It basically gives us a window into what happened when the, the apostles actually responded to the commission uh, that Jesus had given them before he died, to go into all the world and to make disciples. And so the disciples got busy, they took that to heart, and the early church began to grow and flourish, and the book of Acts really chronicles that well. We pick up the story in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and this is a great picture of the early church. All the believers devoted themselves, that's our word, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, which we'll partake today, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had, They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Acts chapter 4, verse 32, if you could flip there real quick. It says, All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. Now, when you get time, you read those both of those chapters in, in total, it gives you a bigger, broader picture of this early church. But reading these few passages here, it's not difficult to see that this was a really healthy, growing church. And pastors love, some of the pastors love reading these. <laughs> Other pastors don't particularly love or enjoy reading these simply because their churches don't look anything like uh, the picture that is painted here. I particularly love this passage mainly because I feel like I'm blessed to, to pastor a healthy church with wonderful people who seem devoted to the right things for the most part. But I'm a visionary leader, and so I'm constantly asking myself, where should, where, where should we be heading? What should we be, uh, you know, aspiring to? What should we be striving towards? And this gives me a really good picture of a really healthy church that is focused on the right things, doing the right things, loving one another, and just they just seem to have it together. Now, I know they had their issues because there are people involved. But generally speaking, at the beginning of this thing, we get a snapshot of what a healthy, holy church really looks like. And so I think it's important when we consider what healthy Christian community means and what it looks like, I think it's helpful for us to understand that there are two really helpful main components to great, healthy Christian community. The first component is God, right? His word, his power, his spirit, his example, his plan, God. And the second part of that is us, the people. Now, if, 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 if both of those, you know, both of those elements show up for work each and every day, the thing runs smoothly, Right? But if either one of those elements decides to stay home or decides to take it easy, things start to get raggedy. Now, if you consider which one of those two elements is more likely to peter out or to stay home or to take it easy, we could probably guess that God is going to show up for work every single day. He's going to keep his end, right? So usually the problem rests on us. Now, the whole thing doesn't rest on us, but... It really matters what we do in response to what God has done. And typically, a healthy church or an unhealthy church is determined by how the people respond to what God has set before them. How the people respond to what God has set 
before them. And so we see in this passage a really healthy church, a thriving church. And so it's helpful for us, particularly because we want to be that, to examine and look at just what did they do? What did they value in order to get them to a place of health? Because we want to be that way as well. And so today I want to examine four things that the people did, particularly in this early church, that made the difference as it relates to Christian community. And then I want to talk about some very practical ways that we can together kick off this new year in a way that leans into healthy Christian community that collectively devotes ourselves to it. So four things. The first thing is that they, the people, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, let me just say that depending on where you come from, I understand, particularly in a room this size, that lots and lots of people have come from really broken church situations. We're offering, often having to wade through what we call church hurt, or some preacher who is speaking and acting in the name of God really did damage to lots and lots of people, whether intentionally or unintentionally. And so we realize that some of us have come to this conversation today with a little bit of baggage that needs to be carefully and thoughtfully unpacked. And so this could sound like I'm saying, devote yourself to my teaching or do what I say. That's kind of nice. I kind of like when people do what I say, you know, especially being sort of a control freak. But that's, that's, not, you know, that's not exactly what I'm saying this morning. What I'm saying is that one of the things that worked about this community, one of the things that made it a a community worth devoting oneself to is that people listened to the preacher. They listened to the preacher. All the believers, they said, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, it's important for us to ask and answer first, what were these brothers preaching about? Now, that's important. Because some preachers, listen, I wouldn't follow them to get a snow cone, much less take, you know, life lessons from them. I want to know what you're talking about. I want to listen to a few podcasts. In fact, you know, most people, when they visit a church, they've come only after they've listened to a couple of sermons. I mean, now that they're available on the website. And what they're basically asking is, what is this preacher talking about? And so we, we shouldn't just sort of confuse these guys and mix them in with modern-day preachers. Modern-day preachers like me, we're referring to the, the Bible says this, or Jesus once said this. These were the apostles. These guys had not too long ago been with Jesus. So where I would say, hey, the word says that Jesus did this, and, and, and scholars say this, that, and the other, they were saying, you know, one time Jesus told me, there was a one time we were just eating and somebody came in and Jesus healed them. It was awesome. They were saying, hey, we got, the, we got the touch, you know? We got to touch his wounds. He gave us a three-year-long intensive on the kingdom, and so they were speaking with authority. There were credible witnesses, and so the Scriptures tell us what they were preaching about. Verse 33, the apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. They said, he got up. We saw him. We saw him. He talked to us. Spent 40 days with us, you know, after he, you know, had got up from the dead. We saw him die. We saw him glorified after which he spoke to us. And these are the things he said. And so when a dead guy gets up, you know, like he said, he would do, what, you know, whatever he said, just listen to him. You know? If, you know, the prophets were told hundreds of years before that this guy would die and then get up, you especially listen to him because he's a real deal. And so these guys were eyewitnesses. And they weren't talking about, you know, your ship's about to come in and you're about to get a breakthrough and this is your year and this is a miracle. You know, if you want a house, come to this line. If you want a car, get in this line. If you, you know, come and give the preacher some money. This is not what they were preaching about. You know, they were preaching about the kingdom has come. They were talking about Christ sits on the throne. He's come to make all things new. They were talking about Jesus. And they were talking about Jesus. And they were talking about some more Jesus. 
Can't talk about the kingdom without talking about repentance. This was John's message. Repent for the kingdom is here. And so they were talking about a message of repentance. This is what they were preaching about. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. Don't forget just earlier in chapter 2, the Holy Spirit fell at Pentecost, and everybody was filled with the Holy Spirit such that they began speaking in tongues. So you can't talk about Jesus. You can't talk about the kingdom without talking about the Holy Spirit. It's the, it's the, it's the, the, the engine of the whole thing, right? And so this is what these brothers were preaching on, and this is what the people were responding to. They weren't responding to the silly, gimmicky preaching that packs stadiums. They were responding to the Word of God. These disciples witnessing powerfully about the resurrection, they were responding to the Word of God. And so, you know, when I say devote yourself to Christian community, I don't mean be to be indiscriminate about it. I don't mean just go to the one, you know, that's closest to your house or the one who has all the flashy bells and whistles or, or, or the one that Grandma Susie went to. I'm talking about figure out and find a place where they're teaching the Word of God. Where you can't get through a sermon without the name Jesus coming up four or five times. Where you can't get out of the door before the preacher reads your mail and offends you. They're quiet on that one. And you come here every week and you just feel like, ah, that was just, that was so inspiring. I'm so awesome. You know, you ought to find a different place. You ought to come here sometime and, like, get so angry with me that you, like, scratch me off the Christmas card list. Or that you sit down to, to, to write me an angry email. Don't actually send it, but it, it might invoke this feeling of, how dare you? I ought to step on your toes sometimes. I ought to read your mail. You ought to wonder if your wife told me something and, you know, gave me a 20 or so to slip you into the message but, but it was actually the Holy Spirit speaking to me. I ought to upset you sometimes. In fact, it's my goal. You say, you ever wonder what this preacher's aiming at? My goal is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. And some of you are comfortable, and if you come here long enough, you will be afflicted. Amen. But they were responding to the Word, responding to the message of Jesus. Many of them had never heard it before and verse 43 tells us what that response looked like. A deep sense of awe came over them. A deep sense of awe came over them. And this is how we're supposed to re- respond to the word. Some of us, you like me, you've been in church your whole life. You've heard some of these scriptures. And you get accustomed to bland, powerless preaching. And it's just like, well, we go to church and we listen to the preacher. And then we go home and we've done our duty. But no, 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 no. When you engage the Word of God, not only is it supposed to cut you, but you're supposed to be awestruck the goodness and the mercy of God. You're supposed to be awestruck when the mirror of God's Word reflects back the ugliness that is what you're dealing with or what you're wrapped up in. And yet in the midst of that, God still loves you. You ought to be awestruck that, you know, the preacher doesn't know you, but yet God gave him a word to speak to you, and he's come down your row in a way that challenges you and encourages you, maybe convicts you. We ought to be awestruck when we engage the word of God. And whenever I get to the point where I'm just going through the motions, I'm preparing sermons, I'm listening to sermons, and I lose that sense of awe and wonder, something is wrong. Something's broken. And these guys show us a picture of what it means to devote themselves to Christian community. They engaged the Word of God. It transformed them, and the trickle-down effect was really, really amazing. A deep sense of awe came over them, not because the preacher was a celebrity or because the preacher was just so dazzling and charismatic that they just wanted to talk to the preacher. No, what they were enamored with was God's goodness, his love, and the power of God that, that followed the taught word. They devoted themselves to good, solid teaching. This is why it matters, friends, what church you go to. It really, really matters. And so that's the first thing. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The second thing they did is they devoted themselves to meeting together. 
They, they, they devoted themselves to meeting together, regularly meeting together. Here's what the scripture said. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to what? Fellowship. And to fellowship, put a different way, they loved to hang out. They loved to get together. They weren't trying to experiment with the Lone Ranger thing. How many services can I miss to still be in the mix? Who's preaching today? Like, should I go? Is it, you know, are you preaching today, pastor? Somebody else? You know, or, or do I feel like it? I've had a long day or, I'm, you know, kids aren't dressed. I had a long night. They weren't trying to figure out, you know, how to live minimums in this area. They valued, devoted themselves to hanging out in various different ways. And this made all the difference for them. And hanging out can seem so unspiritual because we do so much of it outside of our kingdom context. We hang out with people from work. We met this person at the gym. Say, hey, let's go hang out. And we hang out all the time. And so when we think about hanging out, it doesn't seem very sacred. It doesn't seem very powerful or meaningful, but it is deeply spiritual. It's very, very important. And those that forsake this really pay a high price. You might not be able to perceive it at the moment because you might be running from something. You might not be able to perceive it at the moment because you've got, you know, the, the, the guilt and shame that makes you want to hide or somebody's upset you and so you want to stay away. You may not realize it at the beginning, but some of you, I could give you the mic and you could testify that you paid a great price because you failed to devote yourself to hanging out with the brothers and sisters. This is why hanging out was so important. As they gathered, they began to rub off on each other. Now, some folks, you don't want rubbing off on you. But godly folks, those who are in awe of God's wonder, those who lean in to the word, those who can't wait to get the next drink of the words that flow from the mouth of Jesus— You want those folks in your life. You want them to rub off on you. And while we often, you know, discourage our kids from being driven by peer pressure, we, we sometimes forget that there's a version of peer pressure that is totally healthy and totally wholesome and absolutely necessary. I call it positive peer pressure. And interestingly enough, that's what happens in Christian community. Positive peer pressure if you go into the right place. And some people go to certain churches get worse. But you go to a healthy church, you know, you can't just stay in there and just stay the same. Either you'll change, either you'll grow, either you'll climb, either you'll stretch, or you'll get the heck out of there. And so this positive peer pressure is so important because this is one of the main ways that God has designed for us to grow and to be challenged and to be changed and woe unto us that forsake it. Positive peer pressure. I heard Bishop Jake said uh, this week, he, he said, if you don't see better, you usually don't do better. And that's super simple, but I think it's so profound. And it really speaks to one of the main things that happens within the context of Christian community because some of you were not like me. You didn't grow up in a Christian home. You didn't grow up just sort of being bathed in the company and the fellowship of the saints, hearing godly teaching. You didn't grow up with two godly parents that showed you what love looks like, that showed you what discipline looks like, that showed you what it looks like to love your neighbors and to pay your bills on time and to do all these sorts of things that even practical things that don't seem that spiritual. Sometimes I take that for granted, but the more I do this, the more I realize that many people didn't have what I have. And unfortunately, we tend to hang around people who, 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 who are like us, for better or for worse. No, we love Christian community. We love community and fellowship. But guess what? Dysfunction does too. And dysfunction loves to grab more dysfunctional people to hang out with. Reinforce all the things that are broken about you. Reinforce and cover so that you don't see all the blind spots. And since everybody's around you, you just, hey, we're just, this is normal. And so I've seen it year after year. Year after year, somebody comes into this place, and they're like, oh, 
These people are normal. Oh, I didn't know you could have that. I didn't know you could be that way. Them and singles come in, have living broken lives, no contact with the gospel, and they and they see our, our Christian singles. Led by, you know, Mandy who's leading fantastic single ladies group on Saturdays. They see and get in this group and they say, There are singles who are saving themselves. It's possible. It's possible to be single and satisfied. It's possible to find a measure content. And not just sleep with anybody who will have you. That's possible. I didn't know that was possible until I met some people who were, you know, doing it. He said, I didn't know before I came to church that there were happily married people. I didn't know that there were women who, 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 who would rather be hit by a truck than to dishonor their husbands. I didn't know that there were men who worked hard and made it their job to have eyes only for their wives. I didn't know that was possible until somebody, you know, talked to me at church and I met this couple and I thought for sure that this was just their church thing that they were doing in church. And then they had me over for a meal and I saw what their secret was. They were having dinner together. Like at the table. And no phones were out. And they were talking to one another. And they were talking nice to others. They were asking about the kids' day. And I said, I didn't know people did this. I didn't know I could have this. Now I want one. Happy marriage. Now I want one. A wholesome family. You didn't know you could have it until you met somebody that did. Hard street dudes come and say, man, I don't want to go to church, nothing but soft church boys over there. I don't want to be soft. Nothing but chumps go to church. Then fine sister invites you to church. You say, okay, I guess I'll go. <laughs> then you look around room like this, and you see all these men in here. And they got bass in their voice. They have firm handshake. And they're not, they're not trying to be macho. They're not trying to impress anybody. They're just being themselves. And they got their kids, and they're snuggled up on their wife, or they're single. They just get walk with a swagger and say, I didn't know that you can be a brother in church and, and, and still be cool and still keep your swag if the kids say that still. <laughs> I didn't know you can still be a brother. And so you walk, and some of these brothers, you, 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 walk, you might walk the other side of the street if you see them in a dark setting, right? No chumps doing this for real. I tell you that all the time. But you didn't know. You didn't know until you saw it. You didn't know until they invited you to come bowling that these guys are the real deal. These guys are the real deal. They're not soft. They're not chumps. They love Jesus. But you didn't know until you saw it. You didn't know that, 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 that kids could behave and still have fun. You didn't know that there were parents who demanded that their kids respect them, raise them in the way of the Lord, help them get an early start on this whole kingdom life. You didn't know that was possible until you met some folks who were doing it. And all of a sudden, when you came and then you left, you came and you came back, all of a sudden, you were patterning your life. And if you get bold enough, you say, I, I'm not trying to be creepy, but I've been watching you. And your kids really respond, well, I've been watching you, or your marriage is fantastic, or I've been watching you, and you look, you know, like so content in the Lord, even though, you know, you, you're desiring to be married. Can you, can you help? What's your secret? Can we meet for some coffee? You didn't know. I mean, many, many sisters that come, live hard street lives, come into a healthy church, and are surprised that they can interact with men that aren't trying to get in their beds. They just didn't know that there were just a whole room full of brothers who, who just drew a boundary line and decided to treat women with respect. They just didn't know that that was possible, and they found that. And in finding that, they begin to uh, disconnect themselves from trying to use their sexuality to gain advantages and to open doors because... 
this positive peer pressure was happening. And so all of, a something, all of a sudden, something so unspiritual, so seemingly unspiritual like hanging out and fellowshipping together seems so deeply spiritual, seems so deeply meaningful, whether it be a, a congregational meeting like this, a corporate worship setting like this where a little bit of social exchange happens on the front and the back end, or it be, uh, you know, the fellowship lunch that we're going to have uh, at 1 o'clock today at my house, or it be a small group or some outreach or some other outing, Hanging out does so much more in the context of Christian community than we could ever imagine. And for those of you who are forsaking it, you're leaving a lot of money on the table. Leaving some money on the table. There's work that God wants to do through that. And in that, that um, frankly, you're not benefiting from You're not benefiting from it. They loved to get together. They loved to hang out. Teresa, I'm going to skip down to number four here. I can talk about that forever. The the, the third thing is that they devoted themselves to generosity. Now, this is really important, too, because in the context of what we were just talking about, they loved to hang out. It was mostly framed as, like, what you get when you show up to Christian community. But there's another arm to that, and that's what you bring to the table. That's what you bring with you. And one of the distinguishing marks of a healthy Christian community is that they devoted themselves to generosity. Now, I know, let's talk just briefly again about some of the baggage that we bring to these conversations. I know that some of you, whenever we talk about generosity, you think about your last bad church experience where it was all about the money, you know, three, four offerings every service, you know, always something, not to mention you saw the money being stewarded poorly. And, and, you know, so I, I, I want to just own that about some of our coworkers. I want to own that. But I'm not shy about talking about generosity because it's one of the main pieces one of the main sort of areas and avenues that we need to walk down in order, in order to live the abundant life. Without generosity, much of it crumbles. Without generosity, it's all about me. You show up because you, you need something. I'm discouraged. I'll show up. I'm in a bad place. I'll show up. I, I need some, you know, some gas money. I'll show up. I need some attention. I'll show up. But this whole generosity piece puts a helpful counterweight on the other side of this thing, and it moves us from a place of selfishness to a place of selflessness. Now, when you're by yourself, you can be selfish. Who else is there to think about but you? In fact, it's kind of crazy to be thinking about others when you're alone. I mean, it's kind of, it's unnatural. But when you talk about engaging community, all of a sudden it's kind of like, it feels icky to be selfish. It feels right, even though it's challenging to move to a place of selflessness. And so here's what the Bible tells us about this community. And all the believers met together in one place, sharing everything they had. Some people sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. All the believers were united in one heart and mind and loved the unity, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. Verse 34, there were no needy people among them, There were no needy people among them. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. What a wonderful picture. And I'm pleased to say that in large part, we worship and we function in a community that's very, very generous but mainly because we're, we're always setting that forth as one of the goals of spiritual maturity, to move from selflessness to a place of selfless generosity. And so what we need to understand and what's lost on many, many well-intentioned Christian folks is that the essence of what it means to be a kingdom person is to consistently be the answer to somebody else's prayer. The consistently intentionally, perpetually be the answer to somebody else's prayer. A couple uh, weeks ago, Pastor David really framed obedience 
and responding to the call that God gives us, not as just one time saying yes, but daily just being on the ready to say yes to whatever the Lord wants us to do. I thought that was a wonderful framing of what it means to be obedient and to respond well to the call of Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing. You don't know whose prayer you're an answer to. You don't know, you know, which person or what day or all this sort of stuff. That's really not our our issue. But when we get the call to be available, when we get the call to show up, when we get the call to meet a need or respond, you know, the goal is to say yes. And so our whole lives would change. Our whole kingdom paradigm would change if we would say with conviction, God, make me somebody's answer today. With my time, with my energy, with my resource and supply, make me an answer to somebody's problem. Help me be an answer to somebody's prayer. Now, if you thought that it was your job to daily be the answer to somebody's prayer, maybe with a smile, maybe with an encouraging word, maybe giving some time to pray, maybe reaching in your pocket, maybe selling something so that you can meet a major need of them. What what would it change in your life? How might that unhook us or undevote us to ourselves and our own interest in a way that radically changed our life. And imagine the implications if collectively everybody decided that they would work hard to put their ear toward heaven so that they might be able to readily respond to being answered to somebody else's prayer. What, 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 what would this place be like? How might we impact the community where somebody's answer? And Jesus tells us so much when he describes to a young man, what's the greatest commandment? What is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Now find the passage of Scripture that tells us to love ourselves. Now wait. Actually, I won't wait because it's not in there. Just love yourself. Hey, do you, you know, you know, boss up and, you know, do you. It's not in there. In any translation, it's not in there. You'd have to write a whole new book in order to put that in there. What it does say, however, is love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said in a different place, love one another as I have loved you. Now that brings up images of an old rugged cross. Blood streaming down. People pointing and laughing. Him saying, Lord, forgive them. They know not what they do. Him keeping his eyes focused on his mission despite all of the chaos and all of the pain and all of the struggle, him being hopelessly purpose-driven and not in the slightest bit preference-driven. This is what it means to love and live sacrificially. And so this is what it means, folks, to respond, to being generous and being the answer to someone's prayer. The carnal mind seek to have, the carnal-minded, the worldly-minded seek to have their own needs met, their own problems, remedy. remedy. That's what the center of their life. That's what drives them in their vocation. That's what drives them in their relationships. It's all about them. The spiritually mature, those who devote themselves to Christian community in meaningful ways, seek instead to be somebody's answer according to God's will. An answer according to God's will. No wonder this church grew so fast. No wonder thousands were being added because people were like, I got to go see this. Who are these people? I got to go check this out. I got to go check this out. And last but not least, uh, the fourth thing is they they devoted themselves to prayer. That, That should go without saying, but obviously it doesn't because I need to say it. They devoted themselves to prayer mainly because they realized that the mission that God had given them was something larger than what they could carry out by themselves. I'm I'm frightened by churches that don't pray. I'm frightened by it. I'm kind of curious about it. Uh, I'm frightened by a church that doesn't, you know, challenge their people to spend time with God and, and those who don't, you know, spend time in corporate prayer together like we did yesterday. I told you I had a fantastic prayer meeting yesterday where we just came to the Lord, thanked Him, praised Him, confessed to Him our sins, and, and, and just, just brought our petitions before Him. 
We talked about the future of this church and surrendered the way of this church to him, understanding that what God has for us is big, it's major, it's awesome. We couldn't possibly accomplish it without him. They devoted themselves to prayer, understanding that what God wanted to do within them and through them was far bigger than they could accomplish on their own. And so they were regularly tapping in to the source. They devoted themselves to prayer devoted themselves to prayer. Now, those four things are super, super important. And the, you know, Christian's devotion to Christian community can be summed up with one word. And one word, I think, really, really embodies what it means to be devoted to Christian community. And that is, that is commitment. It's commitment. And that's a kind of a scary word for us because we, you know, we like to keep our options open. We don't like to be tied down. Don't tie me to anything. I'll come when I get ready. I'll give when I get ready. I'll smile if I'm feeling smiley that day. But don't tie me into something, preacher. I'm going to keep my options open. And this particular thing just doesn't come in that color. You can't get this without commitment. And what it means to be Committed to Christian community and all the ways that we describe, and there are plenty of other things that we can explore. It means that you, your life, your time, your energy, your resource, your individual purpose comes crashing into a Christian community, and you make, you make an impact. You make an impact. Now, I talk about this every single year, and I, you know, I would just say, before I say what I'm about to say, that we, we tend to lose a couple folks behind this sermon or sermons like this. We tend to. I just budget for it every year. What did I tell you my goal was? Comfort the afflicted and the afflict the comfortable. And in doing so, I want to tell you that you're supposed to be making an impact. And there's an easy way to discover if you are or if you aren't, some of you say, preacher, how do I know if I'm making an impact? And my question to you would be, if you left and never came back, would there be a hole? You come crashing into a place with your time, your energy, your talent, your resource. You come crashing into it, you're going you're gonna to put a hole there. You're going to fill a hole. Such that if we were to take you out of, you know, out of the mix, there would be a hole there. And sadly, most people join churches and they never make an impact. Most people join churches and they never make an impact. Many people that go to Christian churches could disappear tomorrow, and were it not for the fact that we love you, and we like you, and we miss you, and we feel committed to hanging out with you, nothing would change. You know, we wouldn't have to scramble, you know, to, 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 to reschedule some folks because you were scheduled in the kids' ministry, or you were on the worship team, or you were serving on a hospital. We wouldn't have to scramble and, you know, fix it. The thing would just roll. You know, we wouldn't have to look at the books and say, oh, how are we going to account for that income? We lost three or four families. The thing would just roll. It would roll. It would just, we would just keep going. Nobody would be, you know, missing the encouragement that you used to give them on a weekly basis. Nobody would, you know, miss the hugs that you gave them because you didn't give any, because you like to come, you know, late, and then you like to, you know, leave early. Because you came, you came to get a word from the Lord. That's what you came to get. And so you're just like a pebble rolling along the surface, coming and going. If you left, because we love you, we'd know, but otherwise we, we wouldn't know. And let me tell you something about me. I have just resolved that I will go nowhere and I will do nothing. I will attach myself to nothing where folks won't miss me when I'm gone. I'm not bragging. I'm not boasting, but the Lord gave me a wide skill set. And wherever I go, I bring it with me. Wherever I commit myself to, I bring it with me. They get my time. They get my talent. They get my stuff. If I'm your friend, you got my stuff. You got my time. You got my energy. You got my resource. And if something should happen where I'm no longer in your life, by God, you're going to miss me. 
That's why I don't commit myself to everything because I don't have enough. There's not enough of me to go around. Plus, I have a deep conviction. I know I'm going a little long today, but just let's roll with it, okay? I have a deep conviction that I will go nowhere and no, engage no person that I don't give myself to. I'm talking about when I'm making commitments. And so some of you, right now in your mind, you're asking yourself the question, as you should, if I left tomorrow, would it matter? And I'm just going to say it. Third of the room, it wouldn't. I just lost five members right there. I just, they just left in their heart. I'm joking. I'm joking. You, you understand what I'm saying? And so some of you, it's not your fault. Some of you, it's not your fault. This is how you were socialized. This is how you went to church. Your family, it wasn't like, let's engage in Christian community. It was like, let's go to church. Wait, the circus is in town? Let's not go to church. Wait, you know, you know, Law and Order Marathon? Well, <laughs> wait, it's, it's, it's Christmas Eve? No, let's not. Wait, they meet on Friday? They got a Friday thing? Why are they doing that? I saw pastor, he checked in on Facebook. He's down in Orlando. He's not going to be preaching on Sunday. Let's not go. I've been a long day, you know, small group. I, I don't know. And so one or, two, one or two of those, I mean, okay, but I mean, if that's your, if that's your measuring stick for if you'll engage or not, I mean, it could just very easily, and guess, guess what? Guess what? Guess what? You might not be instructing your kids. You might not say, now, listen, Johnny, listen, sit down here. Now, we take a casual approach to Christian community. We don't get serious about it. Something better comes up, we're not going. If something more deserving requires our resources, now, now you don't, don't ever forget that now. And none of us would teach our kids that, but guess what? That's what we're doing. And you wonder why the minute they don't have to come to church, they won't. You wonder why they have no value for Christian community and the fellowship and instruction and the stuff they get, you wonder why they have no value for it? Because you don't. We live in a community that really, you know, loves sports, you know, youth sports and stuff like that. And I love youth sports. I play youth sports. But guess what? When those games fell on church services, I just didn't go. Now, luckily, I wasn't that great of a player, so they didn't miss miss me that much. And I'm not saying you can't sign your kids up for youth sports, particularly. I'm just saying you got to think about what's most important to you, man. Come on. How are you making an impact here? It's the only way this works. And half the room says, you know what? I'm either not making an impact. I'm not making an impact worthy of who God made me. When I look at what I make, we were to remove the financial impact I have on this church. It's not nearly what the Lord has called me to. But when I think about my talents, some of you, some of our best singers aren't even up here. I'm not, I'm not disparaging the singers that we have. I'm saying that there are people with gifts. They're simply like, that takes too time. You got to rehearse, all that stuff. And I can go on and on and on about this, but I think the, the point has been made. Are you making an impact? What are you bringing to the table? My guess, my guess is that God is calling for more. That he's calling for more. Now, we're doing all right as a church. We've had our best giving year, like ever. I think giving was up like 17%. Highest involvement in smaller groups. You know, this church is fuller than it's ever, ever been. In fact, you know, a year and a half ago, I lost a bet, and I, I didn't lose a bet, but I said, hey, I would dance to music in front of the church if we, if we ever got over 100, like, on a regular weekend service. And I made a fool of myself up here because it happened, and we were happy. Now, like, if, we, if only 100 people show up, we're, we're kind of like, man, today was a low Sunday. We've averaged over 100 people for the first time ever in the history of our church. We're really doing well. We're really doing well. Imagine what we would do and where we could go and how we would impact this community if everybody showed up. Now, I'm not just talking about coming 
and being present. I'm talking about everybody came crashing into this place with their time, their energy, their resource, purpose-driven lives, great expectation to see God not only radically change us, but change this community through the vehicle of this church. Man, what, what, will we, what could we accomplish? What could we accomplish? But everybody's got to show up. So you're probably asking yourself, okay, how can I start? Where can I start? I'm glad you asked that. I have a few things here, uh, a few suggestions. And this really pairs well with our fast and our challenge because, listen, this is a good opportunity to, to, to hop on this thing. You're trying to make some changes in your life, trying to undervote yourself to some, the wrong thing, engage the right things. Here's where you can start. The first is find a church. Many of you have found one and show up and show up. Listen, you can't do anything without showing up first. You can't do anything worthwhile without showing up. And so this is a simple one. Like, just show up. Be present. You've gone through the paces of discerning whether or not the teaching is worth listening to, whether or not the people are godly, whether or not this is a place for you and your family. If you've decided, then show up. Show up. And might I add, would you show up on time, please? And some of you are confused about this, but we start at 10.30. You could set your watch to it. Unless somebody's like, you know, overcome by the Spirit or, you know, there's something. You, you could set your watch to it. We start at 10.30. Now, coming on time might seem like something really insignificant, moseying in 15 minutes, you're late, and this might seem, but you don't do that to your job. Well, some of you do. And... <laughs> And some of you just would say, well, Pastor, just who I am. Nope. If they were giving out free TVs at Best Buy, the first 20 people that showed up, doors open at 10, you would be there at 4 a.m. I just lost two more. <laughs> You'd be there at 4 a.m., which means you go to, you know, you show up to what's important to you. And so don't forget why we come here. We ain't come just to hang out. The main purpose is to worship the Lord and to bring him an offering of our life that is pleasing and acceptable to him. Now, when you think of it that way, it seems almost spiritually criminal to just mosey into the house of the Lord whenever you want. And just because, well, I just get there when I get there. I don't like that first song anyway. That's kind of weird to do. I'm not ready to clap and sing. No, this is what, show up. Not just on Sunday mornings, but small groups. If you engage in small groups, show up. This is a special night of work. Listen, if you can't, show up. It's the first step. Second thing you can do is you can sign up for a small group. The small groups start this week. The fellowship groups, often centered around Bible study, um, there's something for everybody. There's a single uh, ladies group. There is a, a couple family groups, co-ed groups. There's a men's group meeting at Panera Bread. I'm teaching uh, the Alpha Course, which is a Christian basics class for people who want to just understand the Christian basics or you're new to faith and you just want to. It's a video-based thing. Listen, sign up for a small group. It's 10 weeks. It's just 10 weeks. You can do anything for 10 weeks. Not to mention, if you don't like the first one, just don't go back and go to a different one. Yeah, we're really cool with you not, you know, but join a small group because it's really the way we pastor people in this community. It's really the way we pastor people in this community. And we say that real community happens not in rows like this, but in circles, face-to-face, life-on-life. So engage a small group. Second thing, the third thing you can do is you can sign up for our beginnings class. Uh, our beginnings class is just our membership class. Some of you have just been kicking the tires for a long time, just been just hanging out, and that's fine. You can hang out as long as you want, but some of you feel like, no, I'm going to make this official. This is the place that God has called me to make an impact, called me to, uh, to, to make a commitment, and I'm just going to make it official. And some of you want to look into our membership class. That's February 4th. starts at 9.30. Worship team, would you come up? They asked me if I was going long today. I told them no. Um, sorry. Fourth thing you can do is you could serve on a ministry team. This is so important. You know, every, every, there's three of us on staff here, right? But the, the large bulk of everything that gets done around here happens, but somebody volunteers, somebody shows up early, somebody leaves late. You now the coffee that you see, somebody's looking after your kids, not just babysitting, but teaching them an age-appropriate lesson, lesson, the atmosphere in this place, the sound, the worship, all this stuff, somebody, somebody, 
Somebody comes early and leaves late so that this stuff can happen. And, and for those of us who call this place home, we ask that you would, um, that you would participate in that. And we just ask you to sign up for a ministry. It's not, it's not super hard. There's our kids' junior high and high school ministry. You teach, look after our kids. Somebody watching yours right now, I, you know, take a week. Our first impressions team, greeters, ushers, when you came in. Hospitality, they're in charge of the atmosphere. Uh, facilities, they clean the building, make sure everything's in order. Worship team, we're going to sing and play and usher us into worship. Tech team, all the projection and sound. Uh, you can lead a small group. All these things are, you know, these aren't things that are really, really hard to do. Just a few of those ministries require some specific talent. Now, some of you shouldn't get anywhere near the stage talking about singing because there's an audition. It's not going to happen. This is not going to happen. And so everything else is just really accessible. Uh, anyway, you can participate in an outreach. Uh, one of the things we want to do more this year is outreach. We, you know, church plant, that's the way we get out in the community, bless the community, whether it's show, snow shoveling, snow shoveling, caroling to the seniors, marching in the parade, doing out evangelistic outreach. Listen, this is who we are. This is what we do. And so participate and outreach, you know, six, give and live generously. We'll talk more about that in a couple of weeks, but, you know, give and live generously. Don't just show up, but bring your resource. Bring your valuables. And that's not just putting something in the plate here at church, but that means that, you know, um, that means that you're looking around you trying to see what their, where, the, where the needs are. You, you, you're purposefully trying to be an answer to the problems that, that you see around you. And you can't do that unless you look around, unless you say, God, give me your eyes so I can see what's happening with us. So give and live generously. And finally, invite, 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 invite. God's blessed you through this church. God's touched your heart. If he's doing something in your life, listen, tell somebody about it. We made it easy. There's invite cards on the back table. Just take a stack. If you like the compact ones, take the compact ones. We got long ones. It's almost like visiting our website. Feel free to leave those. You got a restaurant that you frequent. You can drop some of those on the table. Ask for permission first because we don't want to be a nuisance, but invite. Listen, this is stuff you can start. You can start doing this today. No matter where you are on the spectrum of this, we can all do better we can all really value and devote ourselves to the Christian community, not for the sake of coming to church, but because this is one of God's tools that he's going to use to get this stuff done. And so my prayer for all of us is that we would engage that, we would lean in, and that we would see God do something miraculous to us. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word, for your truth, for your blessings. Thank you for this church. Thank you that I get to lead this community. Thank you for how you're growing us, Lord. It's just so beautiful. Watch. Father, but you're calling us deeper. You're calling us higher. And each and every person through your spirit will be made aware of what it looks like to take that next step. We're not asking you to jump over a mountain. We're just asking, Lord, what would it take for each and every individual here to take that next step, to just take one more step closer to you? and devoting themselves more fully to this healthy Christian community that you've called us all to. Lord, we know that there are no, there's no condemnation for those of us who are in you. Um, but Father, we, we, we trust that you've challenged us today to take one more step. We ask that you would do that. Uh, continue to move upon us and that we would respond to you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.